Hi friends, and welcome to Trauma and Triumph. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing the stories of powerful women who have taken their trauma and transformed it into triumph. I'm your host, Krista Janine, best known for my IG handle, Krista Janine, where I discuss health, wellness, social justice, single parenthood, and everything in between. But most importantly, where I discuss how we can all take trauma and transform it into triumph in our lives. During season one, you're going to meet a variety of amazing women who have overcome tremendous obstacles, setbacks, and trauma to become the extraordinary people they are today. This week's episode features Ashley Tabata, owner of Meyer Inner Peace Wellness, yoga instructor, holistic wellness coach, and entrepreneur. Wellness has always been an important foundation in Ashley's life, and it has enabled her to fully embrace and lean into her own humanity. It has allowed her to define what self-care means in her life and further enabled her to do the same for her clients. However, before we dive into this episode, I want everyone to know that it is about the loss of a child. So if that is triggering for you, perhaps you don't lean in as hard this episode and come back next week for another triumphant story. Now, if you are still here, please help me welcome Ashley Tabata. Well, I'm happy you're here. Thank you. I'm happy we get to chat. Um, For our listeners, I have no idea what the answers to any of these questions are going to be per usual. So we're just going to (laughs) dive in because that's the fun part. Yeah. So first question right off the bat, right? So what is one trauma-centered event in your life that you can say was pivotal for you? When I lost our daughter Harper uh, during my second trimester of pregnancy. And can you kind of like walk us through what that process was like for you and kind of how you went from that like moment of excitement and being like, we're going to have like Harper and then understanding Mm -hmm. that, well, Harper isn't going to come home with us. You know what I mean? Like that whole process. Yeah, so it was interesting because uh, I found out she didn't have a heartbeat anymore at 16 weeks. Um, some complications took me to the ER. Just I had all these alarms going off in my body. Anyways, so rewind three weeks earlier, we just did our gender reveal with our family. So family was in town for our son's second birthday. And we had a cake made, which we didn't do like a big gender reveal with um, our first um, an hour first together. So I'm grateful. I have a bonus daughter uh, who's 14. So of course I came into her life after she was born. So um, when I reference our first, it's just our first biological child together. Uh, so we did this big gender reveal three weeks before I just had an ultrasound. We learned that, sh- sh- you know, we were having a, a little girl and we're so excited. Family was in town for our son, like I said, our son's second birthday. So it's just kind of like the serendipitous moment. Everybody, because our family doesn't live here. So family was in town. We were excited, got a cake, shared it on social media. We're so excited. And then, yeah, three weeks later, just things just weren't feeling right. And I reached out to my doctor um, in the evening. We had gone out to dinner to our favorite restaurant and just, it was something I, I put our son to bed and I was laying in bed and I was like, you know, something, I just knew, you know, I just knew something wasn't right. So I decided, you know what, 
I went downstairs, I came downstairs, told my husband like, hey, stay home. I'm just gonna go to the ER. It was like 10 o'clock on a Friday night. We had to, he had to stay home, right? Um, with our son who was asleep. And so driving on the way there, you know, there were no like alarms of like, oh, our child had died, but it was, you know, maybe I need to get on, maybe I'm dehydrated, you know, like all those other things. So they got me in, I was in the ER, they got me in pretty quick, you know, I guess in ER standards. And uh, they walked in an ultrasound machine. And I remember, the person coming in and saying, you know, we're just going to make sure everything's okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, they were searching and searching and like, I, I don't know, it just like, it's hard to really articulate the feeling in the room, but there was just like this very loud silence as they were searching. And I remember looking at the machine because I could see it and they like turned it. So I couldn't really see Mm -hmm. in the process of me looking and um she said you know I'm having a tough time finding the baby's heartbeat right now but let me go get let me go get you know the doctor so I just think it was also that moment of just like what you know I don't know how to handle it I'm not trained in this I don't know anyway right yeah so um uh they came back in did again were trying to find the heartbeat and then basically said, you know, it wasn't, they couldn't find a heartbeat, um, but that they would be right back and left me in the room for probably a good, I don't know. I felt like forever, but probably like 45 minutes by myself. And then a ER doctor who was eight months pregnant came in and told me that our daughter had died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sorry. It was very long winded there. (laughs) No, but I mean, I, yeah. that's like, yeah, that's your first off, that's your truth. But then yeah. the second, I wonder why, I guess my, like, I have so many questions, like. I'm open to it. Uh, oh, but like, not even necessarily for you, but just like the way our, our OB situation mm. in the U.S. is set up is like very mm-hmm. bizarre to me. That's what I would mm-hmm. say. It's a very yeah. bizarre set up and like there's not a lot of care and concern placed on the mother often enough um Mm -hmm. I found because I guess my my question is you know why why did it take so long like were they reviewing the ultrasound was like were they waiting for somebody that was more sensitive to come in and tell you what had happened like what why did it take so long for somebody to figure out what was going on? Right. Yeah. There's lots of questions like in my own healing journey too, of just asking, you know, why did they send in a pregnant doctor that was eight months pregnant telling me that I just lost my baby in my second trimester. But that goes to like a whole other conversation of trauma informed care for pregnancy loss and bereavement. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so many questions and I am fortunate with my, my doctor. So, and, and mind you, they tell me this and then they tell me, you know, go home and call your doctor tomorrow morning. So then, you know, having to go home, knowing that you're carrying a baby who had died, like that's just my reality in these hours leading up okay. to talking to my doctor. My doctor is incredible. So I, I'm very lucky and I do not take it for granted how 
it's always been a very human experience with her, but her, she humanized this experience when I had to go to the hospital the next day, I was admitted to deliver our daughter because of decisions and, you know, just all of that process. But we're very lucky to also have the support because she moved it past the, it was a very medical sterile situation at the ER. And I feel like she made it very human. She removed all the medical stuff out of it. Yeah. So we're very fortunate for that. Cause I know that's not the experience of a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah. then even in that, so how do you feel like that event kind of changed you on a holistic level, right? So emotionally, spiritually, like mentally, like what, what has now in turn, like come as a result of that situation and loss? So it changed everything about me. I feel like in the moment of hearing those words, you grieve everything, right? I grieved my pregnancy. I grieved, I was grieving um, all the milestones we would not be celebrating, uh, grieving who I was before, because I feel like I'm a very changed person. And even looking at pictures, I recognize a before and after of who I was. And I think just in my healing journey overall, I've, I'm able to give myself grace. I'm able to give myself um, the recognition of my capacity and choosing myself first. I think this, when, when Harper died, I think was the first time where I realized how important it is to really take care of yourself first. And being able to, especially, you know, as a mom too, just being able to prioritize yourself first and, and these weird things that I think the patriarchy tells you otherwise or how, you know, society has conditioned us. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's changed just, it changed everything about me. And I think it really gave, I you know, in my healing, it gave me some purpose. And I don't think every trauma is about learning lessons. Sometimes it's just about survival. And at the beginning for me, it was all about survival, just being able to open my eyes and put my feet on the ground and brush my teeth and get out of bed. Right. Uh, And eventually just in my healing journey, I think it's just afforded me an opportunity to use my voice to bring an awareness to this life experience. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that too, because I just went to a book reading for Gabrielle Union's new book. And one Mm. of the things that she was saying is sometimes surviving is thriving. Mm-hmm. And I know how so often we think we say this, right? Because I've even said this is like, I don't want to just survive anymore. I want to thrive. But it's mm-hmm. like, there are certain moments when surviving is you thriving, because there's, mm-hmm. there's no more you have to give, but mm-hmm. that I am getting up and I am brushing my teeth <laughs> and I am putting on clean clothes today. And that is me thriving, you know, and I don't think we give ourselves or other people enough credit, enough grace in those spaces, you know, to be like, yeah, this is what thriving looks like right now because they're on a healing journey or because they are filled to capacity. And this is what moving forward looks like right now, you know? So I think it's so, it's so powerful for more people to like really sit in that and be like, no, me surviving was, was my way to move forward and what I needed in that space, you know? Um, and I love that you speak to it. Cause once again, like 
we're taught that, you know, surviving isn't enough, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what we're pushing right now is like surviving isn't enough, but like, but sometimes it is, <laughs> it's, it's like, it is enough sometimes and it's okay that it's enough in these moments. Um, but also something that you said really stuck out to me is like, you can see a physical change in who you were from mm-hmm. before and after, like, what does that look like to you? Like, can you kind of share that a little bit and what that physical change looks like? That's such an interesting question because I don't know if I can put it into words, to be honest. I think that it's, I can look at a picture on May 2nd of 2019 and I can look at a picture on May 6th, May 5th, May 4th of 2019 and I see a completely different person. Yeah. So that's as best as I can articulate it because I, it's almost more of like a feeling for me. And I think if the outside world sees the same pictures, it's just a very different experience, I think. Yeah. You feel like your soul is different. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Just like who literally, um, I am no longer the person that I was on May 3rd of 2019. That's just, that person is no longer, it's like, it's almost, it's like this compounded death in a sense, right? Yeah. It's like, that person is no longer what did that do for your perspective on like parenting and and motherhood like how did that shift that's another really great question (laughs) well especially too because I ended up getting pregnant with our rainbow baby in July of 19 so you don't want to take things for granted, but it also gives you this heightened awareness of the bad, right? Like the bad things, the, these, these things that they talk about in parenting, like the death of a child, um, it, it brings up new feelings and emotions of this, well, what if is now our reality? So now we know what can happen. So I think that it allows for you in certain moments to be way more present as a parent. Um, But I think the biggest journey for me in this is also learning to give myself grace in grieving and learning how to parent um, a child that is not here and learning how to parent your children who are here, which is also a dichotomy that I don't think a lot of people realize is you do parent a child that has died or a a pregnancy that is no longer because you're constantly trying to validate the existence of a child who was never born yeah in the traditional sense if that makes sense and and I would love for you to like talk a little more about that because I don't think people understand what that process is too or even with having like a rainbow baby it's like this baby isn't replacing that baby you know Mm -hmm. that baby was still here and had their own spirit and their own soul you know, and they're still just as much my child as this, the child, the children that you see in physical Mm -hmm. form, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that as you navigate this space and you embrace this life experience and it looks like it looks so different for every single person, there's a lot of commonality, but I feel like the experience is so unique and authentic to the pregnant person, to the family, to the support system, whatever. 
but I think that I reached a space of realizing that grief and gratitude coexist in our world. It just has to, because again, Harper would be two this year on the 21st. So there's also this period of time of where I was pregnant with our rainbow baby when I should have been pregnant with Harper. So joy and sadness, right? These, these big emotions that we're also told in society, right? That, well, one, big emotions that have negative feelings we don't talk about, we don't deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden that is our reality in one aspect, but then also allowing ourselves to find joy that, you know, when Harper died, that in that moment was our journey to our rainbow baby, right? So it's also, again, it just comes back to grief and gratitude coexisting and at times having capacity to allow that. And then other times allowing the anger, like it's okay to be angry and ask questions. It's okay to have questions of, well, what would she look like? Would she look like her siblings, right? So it's not discounting one journey or the other, it's your heart grows in different ways and allowing both of the stories and the journeys to coexist. And let me be completely real. It is, I don't always have capacity to allow for that to be right. And I am getting better at being okay with that as well. But as the journey continues, it just changes. It just gets different. So yeah. So you said something that stuck out to me that's so important and I'm so glad you spoke to it from like a spiritual or religious standpoint where it's like it's okay to be angry mm-hmm. and I feel like even like it's okay to have grief and gratitude at the same time. I feel like I'm very and let me phrase phrases properly. I feel like so often in religion we are taught to not question God, Mm -hmm. that we can't be angry with God, that we should be grateful for what God has blessed us with and not focus on what we've lost. But for me, that's just not how the human experience is. And I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. if God created us, then he understands the array of human like experiences and emotions and he can handle it. But I feel like, in religions, we focus so much more on the gratitude of life than understanding that even though, you know, God has done this for whatever reason, we can still question it and we can still be angry about it and we don't have to like it, you know? And I would love for you to kind of speak to that from a religious standpoint, if you, if you would, and how you kind of like navigated that space. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of anger, because I, I, anger is a part of the grief process, right? It's just, we're told not to talk about it. We're not, we're told you don't talk about it as a collective, that you're angry at these elements. Mm-hmm. I find myself to be a more spiritual person uh, in a lot of respects. Uh, and at first I think uh, for me and kind of how it all manifested was just this idea, uh, a lot of the shame and like how I failed my family and how my body failed me, right? You have all those feelings, right? Initially. And then as the anger started to seep out and mind you, I, I refer to it as like a revolving door of emotions, right? Like it comes out in weird spaces. And I started to recognize the importance of talking about it 
versus stuffing it because I feel like when you have unmanaged or I don't, mm -mm, that's not the right way to say it. When you stuff it, right? Because in society, we're told to stuff our, our big emotions that other people aren't comfortable dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it ends up manifesting in ways. So like if we don't deal with our grief and our trauma, you know, it can contribute to heart attacks later in life or other like physical, like, I mean, they're in mm -hmm. it's science. This is science. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is the way that it manifests in the human body. And so I think that I was really angry with, you know, the why me, why us, why our child. Um, and I think the way that the anger manifested more in a spiritual religious way was more so the comments other people, I think, would say to us. Because we didn't really go down the questioning God, I think, in our circumstance, just because I think we have a different viewpoint or perspective in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we were just constantly reminded of like, well, you know, the comments of like, well, God has a plan, or, you know, there's, you know, there's everything happens for a reason. Like all of these things spiritually that people are told to cope with these circumstances. And I just think we got to a point and I got to a point where it was more important to let the emotions just move through my person and that energy go. Cause if it didn't, it would stick. And sometimes it did. I don't want to make it seem like, I mean, it was, it, yeah. it's hard. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think for us, it just, it kind of unfolded very differently. Um, our rabbi actually, you know, in the Jewish religion too, I guess I can get a little religious here in the Jewish religion, a baby isn't considered a baby until they're a month old. So, and this, I mean, I guess it depends on who you're speaking to within the religion too, right? It's subjective, but I remember reaching out to our rabbi saying, you know, is there a prayer? Is there something when we were in the hospital? when I was being induced um, is because at that point we're just processing everything. Um, and he actually ended up coming to the hospital. He was the only person uh, that came to the hospital and it was this incredible weird space of him being able to recognize what we needed in that moment. And also recognizing that, you know, usually in the Jewish religion, a child isn't considered a child until they're 30 days old, so a month old. So we had a very, I would say, I guess it was more positive in that sense of him being able to hold that space for what we needed. It was bizarre. I, that's like the only way we can say it. It's just super bizarre because it was like he was going not against the religion, but just like outside of what the norms are in religion. And he was still able to hold incredible space for us. Well, I think any, once again, this is me putting on my religious hat and like the perspective that I feel like people in leadership within religion should hold space for you in those yeah. moments, right? And you mm -hmm. give your parishioners what they need in their moments mm -hmm. of despair and grief. And that is what a good religious leader looks like, right? Like yeah. that is what everyone should experience mm -hmm. in moments like that where it's like you provide you actually care for people's spirits and their souls right yeah. it's like that's what you should do 
in these in these roles of leadership whatever it is you know and what for whatever religion so I'm glad you guys had that experience and I think that is so powerful and so important to share so people can understand one like what it looks like for you to be in that space and even even from the context of like people who are like oh well baby isn't a baby until they're born but Mm -hmm. then we sit here and argue about well should we have abortion laws or not it's like there's so much religion that goes into even that conversation where it's like Mm -hmm. I'm here I'm hurting this is my child so at the very least acknowledge that I have lost my child Mm -hmm. from a religious standpoint you know like if you're going to fight for all these other things like in this moment you need to acknowledge that I have lost my child and I think so often people don't have that space because like you said in religion in your religion specifically in the Jewish tradition you know a baby has to be a month old before they're considered a child Mm -hmm. so I'm glad you had that experience and I think something else you said that we see so often in society but specifically like in the realm of religion is people are like oh god has a plan for you or oh god's mm. going to like x y and z and yeah and I honestly feel like people do that because they don't know what else to say but I also want people to know how unhelpful that is right it's so like- unhelpful I have like a list of things right that just silence is okay showing up and not like, I didn't want to be hugged. I, I, you know, it was, you go through this transformation and sometimes I, I think um, people show up for people sometimes with the wrong intentions. It's like when you show up authentically for somebody else, you don't need to say anything, yeah. especially if they don't know, know what to say. But again, it's also recognizing and, and we had people that warned us and I, I like to say warned us, my doctor, you know, the nurse, like in the hospital, they're like, people are going to say a lot of things because they don't know what to say to you. Yeah. And I'm glad we had that kind of <laughs> warning ahead of time. Cause you're so it, it's surprising who also says these things. I'm not going to share specifically in this yeah. moment, but it, it is very interesting you know, you should be appreciative, you know, at least you have, you know, mm-hmm. two living children. It's like, I don't know what to say to that. You know, it's, it's, it's not <laughs> in supporting like, a grieving mother in a moment, a sentence never starts with at least you just don't even just shh. <laughs> like, yeah. don't say anything in that moment. Just yeah. keep it to yourself, buddy. Yeah. No, but yeah. I think that's so I think that's so telling of our society where people feel like they have to say something mm-hmm. like you don't have to say anything mm-hmm. you know like you don't have to you don't have to encourage me you don't have to say anything you just like like you said you can either show up or you can ask me what I need and I think that's something that people don't do uh, like people mm-hmm. want to help you the way they want to help you yep and then they get upset if you're not like receptive to the way they want to help you. And it's like, well, this isn't about you. <laughs> this isn't about you at all. You know, this is me and what I need and how I, you know, am navigating through this space. But even from that standpoint, and I'm glad you you brought up this um, thought or like experience of feeling shame and upset with your body, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of women 
who go through similar experiences or who even struggle to get pregnant in the first place, right? They they have this like, why won't my body do what it's supposed to do? Or how could my body have failed me or, you know, or especially like for their partners, right? Well, why can't I, you know, give my partner X, Y, and Z or how could I have failed them? Um, and I would love for you to kind of talk through the way you have moved past, or you're still working to move past that, like, you know, internal conversation with yourself. I just continue to have the internal conversation with myself because I think it just changes over time, but there's still, you know, it still happens. And for us and having a rainbow baby, right? A lot of people don't get that opportunity. So it's just the finality of how traumatic it ends for some people. Um, With that being said, it's also not minimizing our experience because other people have it differently. So I think that's also this thing that I'm working on so hard is not minimizing my pain because somebody else has had it different or by society's definition of harder. That's why I just think that every story is so incredibly important. So I just continue to have the conversation with myself because I also believe in the healing journey as you navigate it and you gain different capacities, you're gonna continue healing from the same experience, but just differently. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just having the moments of vulnerability when they're happening to have space to talk about it. And I'm grateful to have a therapist that navigates the space and also a grief support group. I've met incredible, we've met incredible people unfortunately through a traumatic experience, but who understand us. So having those spaces too of validation of, oh, I feel that too, or I, you know, it's, it's the resources, it's the community that you find in the journey as well. It's also, I think, I'm, and I say grateful a lot because my husband supports me talking about this publicly publicly because I do want to bring an awareness because there's so much that we had. I mean, we had, you know, in a, a short window of time, we also, and I'm kind of coming out a little bit of this specific question, but you know, it's like, oh, your baby has died. You're going to deliver your baby. You have to figure out arrangements for your baby. Once they're here, are you going to bury, you're going to cremate who's going to handle that mind you all in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that takes place that you're not even able to have some of these conversations of the shame and everything. It's fleeting because there's so much more that's going on in those moments. So a lot of this too, with the pandemic, I've had a lot of delayed grief and a lot of delayed conversations because we've been forced to sit in our grief with the lockdown and all of that and loss of resources. So it's just staying open to my human experience and the vulnerabilities and trying to reframe it for myself that it's not weakness. It's, this is just a part of our story. So it's also just embracing what I'm feeling in moments. And again, I put it out there. (laughs) It is not always accessible and it's being okay with those moments too. Like I don't have capacity to do this or this right now, all I can do is just function through what my responsibilities are in this moment. 
Yeah. And I think there's so many things that you said there that can very much so be helpful to others, but then also just something we as a society need to consider and ask ourselves why we feel the Mm. need to do. And I think the first thing that really stood out to me was like, why do we always feel the need to downplay our experiences in order to validate someone else's? Yeah. Right. And we consistently do that. And I do Mm -hmm. it every day. Right. Like, yeah, I'm a single mom, but my life is so much easier than, you know, so-and-so's who doesn't have X, Y, and Z. And it's like, right. Like nobody's saying it's not. And you saying that you're experiencing something that's hard doesn't take away from anybody else's hard experience, but for some Mm -hmm. reason, and, and it goes back to this idea that I've been like presented with often of toxic positivity, right? Yes. Where it's like, well, just focus on the good stuff and focus on, be grateful and focus on your gratitude. And it's like, yes, absolutely. But you can be grateful and be sad at the same time. You Mm -hmm. can long for something and still be focused on something else at the same time. And I feel like the more we evolve as a society, as a human race, we're, we're really diving into the nuance of what it means to be a human. It's, and I think it's just the conditioning that we all are, right? What we all go through and just how we're conditioned throughout life, whether it's environmentally, society-based. Uh, and I think that's why so many people suffer in silence. And so many people don't share their stories because, you know, we're told that, especially for, you know, this specifically with pregnancy loss awareness and pregnancy after loss awareness, there aren't mandates, there aren't sanctions that protect the community in itself. You know, there's FMLA and there's all these other things that exist, but there's stipulations with those things too. So we're basically told in this community that our stories aren't valid or worthy of being spoken about. So that's a whole other layer of the grief that takes place is where are the platforms that we can speak about our story? So it's very, I think it's very accessible for people to minimize your grief going through this because it's like, well, but there's so many other things going on in the world and we're not really supported in an open format anyways, which yeah. it's, it's incredible that you are giving people a platform to talk about things like this, should they choose, because it does give a validation and a public responsibility to acknowledge these experiences that way more people go through than are spoken about, you know? Yeah. So I just, yeah. And I think even to your point, it's like, it's the patriarchy at its best, right? It's like, and not to keep bringing up Gabrielle Union's book, but she speaks about um, perimenopause and how we, there's not enough research on it and how Mm -hmm. people don't, you know, know a lot about it. And like, for me, I'm like, yeah, she's absolutely right. Cause I don't know anything about it and there's not any research on it and I don't get it. But then even from a standpoint of like, this right I didn't know until recently that if you lose a child you don't get maternity leave because there's no baby I'm I'm like what do you mean and and I'm just like how is that even a thing 
you know, because there's so much that needs to happen in your physical healing and your mental and emotional healing. And if you don't have the option to not work without pay, then there's another layer to it that we don't speak to in society. So it goes back to that it forces you to suffer in silence because you don't have a physical baby here to be like, see, look, I did something and I need time to heal, you know? And we, we don't give women space to heal or speak up or do anything in any capacity. And that's how society is set up. You know what I mean? Like it, I mean, we can't even have conversations about maternity leave period, let alone maternity leave for a child who has died. And, you know, that's a big part of like the work I want to do. And it, yeah, I mean, that can go in like a all day conversation because, you know, I had a six week recovery following delivery because I had a delivery and then I had emergency procedure after, um, without giving, you know, too much detail. Um, but that addresses just the physical side of it. That doesn't even address the, um, emotional and mental side of everything that transpires, um, from it. And so, I mean, I've heard countless stories, uh, of people, you know, dependent. And again, right. I didn't know, um, miscarriage would include a delivery. Like there's just so much that I learned from our own experience. And that's why I feel the need to share, because I think it is important for people to be aware that, you know, we went to the hospital where I delivered a daughter. We did not come home with. Right. I mean, like I was admitted to the hospital for delivery and, um, everything to follow after that, you know, I had a six week physical recovery. Um, and the whole leave side of thing is like a whole other conversation. Um, But it's really unfortunate because there are thousands of stories of people forcing to miscarry at work because they don't, you know, they don't have the support and the resources. Um, And those stories are so traumatic and so, um, that should not be happening. Right. That's not right. fair. Right. And it's, and it's cruel. Yeah. It's not fair and it's cruel. And it's, yeah. and the question that I always ask, right. is like, if this were a man experiencing this. Oh, don't even. Yeah. <laughs> would the story be the same? And we all know the of course answer, not. right? Of course it's like, not. we all know the answer, but I feel like we need to say it more, you know, but even in that, I, I guess my next question would be like, so what do you feel like you you learned most about yourself from this experience what I have learned the most is that I well first I'm worthy of feeling everything I need to feel to heal and that there's no timeline to grief and there's there you know it's it's the space of I'm never getting over the loss of Harper dying. I'm learning to live with it. It doesn't get easier. It just gets different. Certain things are accessible for me now that were not even, I mean, I couldn't have even wrapped my mind around some of the things I'm capable of doing now within that first, you know, time period. And I can't even, 
put a number to it if it was the first three weeks or four weeks. I mean, so much other life happened even weeks following that we were forced into situations that he didn't even allow us to really process the fact that our daughter just died. Um, so I just think, you know, that our story is worthy of sharing and honoring Harper and us really, and, and me really being okay with not being okay sometimes. And that, that should be okay. Yeah. And it is okay. It's not even, yeah. it is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it, for like family and friends who are trying to be supportive in moments like this, what advice would you give them? Don't make it about you. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think it's hard. And let me, let me kind of add more context to that. So it is about you, but don't take it to the person who is grieving. Find your own resources and support to navigate that. Uh, because I think that the person, the person who is the person experiencing the loss does not have the capacity. And even if they tell you they have the capacity, that's the conditioning. And so realize that if they start to show up for you more, they are sacrificing so much of their own mental health in that moment and that their own capacity that they're already depleted on. And be okay with you asking them what they need and them saying that, that they don't know or that they don't need you in this moment. Don't take it personal. Don't make it about you. So that's where I say, don't make it about you. It's the entire cycle of, you know, don't, I mean, I can't, people telling me that they lost an animal and like in that moment, again, doing the best that they know how, but again, you don't have to relate to somebody to understand they're going through traumatic experience. Right. So it's, it's not even just the front end. It's also, if you ask them what they need and they say, no, thank you. Or I don't know right now, or, you know, you're just, I can't do this right now with you. Don't take it personal. Wait, because right. eventually they're going to be able to either acknowledge what they need from you, or maybe you just aren't that person for them. And that's okay. You're going to yeah. find space somewhere in their life. It's just let them find that for themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing advice for any situation, right? And any yeah. moment of grief for trauma people are going through, it's like, let them tell you what they need. Don't just mm -hmm. do what you want to do or what you have the capacity to do, right? And I think that's something too, where it's like, people don't understand to your point that it's not about them, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, if you don't have the capacity to do what I'm asking you to do, then just leave me be. Yeah. You know, and it's okay. And I feel like people feel bad about that or feel like they shouldn't just like leave you be. But it's like, if you cannot provide the support that I need, then it is okay for you to, to remove yourself for a little bit and just check on me, you know, from afar. But I think people want to be like, oh, I'm here for you. And I'm, you know, but some people don't have the capacity to be there for you in in moments of grief and tragedy and that's okay too right yeah and it's also I think the other thing is that's really important and it's hard because it's this weird like unspoken expectation and navigation but it's also like don't disappear 
And I know that a lot of people disappear in traumatic moments because they don't know how to show up, but it's also okay to not know how to show up, but to not disappear. Because I think that that happens a lot too with people is, especially like in our experience, um, it's interesting who shows up for you and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's a judgment. It's just an awareness uh, of, again, like you said, right? Like not everybody's going to have capacity, but it's also okay to be vulnerable and say, I have no idea how to do this. I'm going to give you space because I just don't know what to do right now. Right. Um, But completely disappearing is like, there's so much grief that goes into this. It's, you know, it's, it's of course the grief of the loss of a child, but like, Mm -hmm. there's so much other grief that happens within the ecosystem uh, that people don't realize end up compounding Mm -hmm. how much life changes. Uh, So yeah, just don't disappear. Yeah, no. And I think that's also so important too, because once the physical healing is done right it's like almost like out of sight out of mind or like it's like oh well enough time has passed like surely they're over whatever over it yeah and it's just like you cannot put a time limit or a time frame on people's healing and people's Mm -hmm. process of grief and I feel like because I've experienced this too which is why I'm like it's interesting because people are like, oh, well, you're okay now, right? <laughs> and you're like, I get, I guess, but you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, should I, I guess I should be okay. And then, right. And then that's you now talking to yourself, feeling bad that you're not okay for something that happened that impacted you, but is now mm-hmm. an inconvenience for other people because they need you to be okay again. Right. And the so. role you are as the person, like, because we all play roles, right? Like we're all different roles for different people. And yeah, it's just, it, the complexity is to it. And, and unless we are able to start having conversations like this in an open space, there's no way to figure out the steps forward. I mean, yeah, the, it's, it's so complex. Um, and being okay with not knowing how to fix it you know showing up for somebody isn't about fixing it it's about holding that space and it's also I guess another just because again I can talk about this you know it's when somebody whether if you know somebody who's experienced this loss too right it's also holding space don't change the topic if they're talking about it because I may not and you may not be able to articulate to somebody when they ask you what do you need Maybe subconsciously I'm sharing this with you because that's what I need from you in this moment. But I don't know how to say that. I just need you right now just to talk about this. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like you said, it's always interesting to see who shows up for you in those moments. And which, like you said, it's like, it's not even like you're taking an inventory of like, this is my person and this isn't my person, but you're just like hyper aware. And Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, I'm hyper aware because I know the next time if something happens, Mm. I know exactly who to go to. I'm not going to like send out, like cast a wide net. It's like, Mm -hmm. I know that these are the people that when shit hits the fan, (laughs) these are my people. 
right? Mm -hmm. And whoever else decides to come on board, great. But I know that these are the people that will show up for me no matter Mm -hmm. what and show up for me how I need them to show up for me and not how they would like to show up for me. So I think for me, that's my inventory, right? It's like, it's like my survival list, right? For lack of a better term, because you never know. And I feel like once you go through something that is extremely traumatic, you are unintentionally holding your breath, expecting the next thing to happen, right? And I don't think that ever really goes away. I think you learn how to navigate around it. I think you learn how to to not articulate it as much, but you're always in the back of your mind thinking, oh, well, if this happens, then, you know. So that was my entire pregnancy with our rainbow baby. Um, Because we didn't tell anybody that I was pregnant until she was born. And there were a lot of even family members that were very surprised. And with the pandemic too, and not living close to family, it was navigating that piece was a little different, but yeah, I mean, every single ultrasound I was triggered. Um, every time they search for her, I mean, like that's again, a whole other story, but yeah, I mean, it, you definitely, I, I think that's such an important point and a, you know, a profound one that you just said is just when you've lived a traumatic experience, you've experienced the worst. So it's no longer the what if situation. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, which, which makes you honestly a better person. And it also makes you interact with people way differently (laughs) in society. Right. It's like, yeah, it, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where it's so funny because I remember right after the fire, you know how people always ask the question like oh if your house was on fire what items would you grab and like now I'm like maybe we shouldn't ask that question to people anymore because it might be triggering but I'm also like well I know exactly what I would grab <laughs> like you know what I mean like yeah. I, I don't have to like guess like what I would grab I know what I would grab but even in that it's like we ask these things haphazardly not thinking about the fact that people may have experienced you know these things in life and they just don't speak to them to your point Mm because after that so many people messaged me and were like yeah this and people I had known for years mind you they were like Mm -hmm. this happened to me too and this but because we don't talk about it and we are healing from it and oh I'm over it I'm past it now you know so many people to your point are suffering in silence. Mm -hmm. And even in that regard, like what would, what advice would you give to someone who is like in the midst of, of this healing journey for themselves right now? Like, what would you tell that person? That you're not alone and that I see you and I hear you. Um, And while it can be really hard to find the community that, um, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And the waves will eventually not hit you as hard and you just learn as you go and give, I mean, man, just give yourself as much grace as you can because, you know, again, 
I go in a different direction of like, it doesn't get easier. It just gets different um, and you don't get over it and you learn, you know, you just, you learn your capacities. And I know that's like a lot of like short sentences that don't really make sense. It's just, you know, it's okay to be a changed person. It's okay to try on things in this new life that you're living and it's okay to talk about your baby. I think that's the thing that it causes discomfort for a lot of people, but if it makes you feel good, find out what makes you feel good, what brings you joy and honoring your child and don't pull back from that because if that's what helps you validate your experience, I guess it's, it's better to simply say your story is worthy of sharing. And that is only for you to decide. That is not for anybody else in the world to decide. Right. And that yeah. your baby matters, you know, like, yeah, your story matters. No, absolutely. And I think that's so empowering and so uplifting for people to really hear that because I don't feel like women think that their story matters. And I don't feel like women are given the space to say, I lost a child. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I... I may not have seen the child grow into adulthood or teenhood or whatever, but like, I still lost a baby that was growing inside of me that I don't have anymore. And we don't give women the space to say that or to have, you know, an open forum to discuss what that grief looks like for them. And even in regards to that, like, what was your healing journey like throughout the process and how did you navigate that? It's ever evolving. I feel like it's always changing. And I think that part of my healing journey, when I started realizing that sharing our story, more people would reach out to me and like share their story or say, thank you. Or people that had never been through the experience learned a way that they could show up for somebody that they knew. I think those were moments, sorry, my dog is all of a sudden pushing up against my yeah, leg. I think she can probably feel my energy, right? <laughs> um, yeah, just, I, I think it's, when I realized the moment I was afforded the opportunity to use my voice to bring an awareness to something that impacts so many people, I began to be empowered to not only share our story, but also just encourage other people. And it doesn't have to be in a public Space, right? Like if you can find people in your life to share your experience, that's all that matters. It doesn't have to be something all over social media. You know, you can find your space and find ways to thrive in that space. And so, you know, it's evolved so much so that, you know, being back in school now and uh, finding, you know, in my healing journey, finding my purpose, uh, it's a new chapter. And so I'm grateful for that. And again, it's a way to honor um, our daughter. And it's also a way to create a legacy that I hope to leave for all of our kids is using your voice to create yeah. change and using your voice to bring an awareness and being open to my healing journey it has been messy 
and it has been difficult and it has been devastating, but it has also given me some of the greatest little gifts that, you know, it's knowing that this is, you know, Harper is guiding me in the process. So it's just staying open to that. Yeah. So if someone were to ask you, like, what is a journey from trauma to triumph? What would you say to them? I sat with this. (laughs) (laughs) It's embracing your entire human experience. It's knowing that big emotions have been labeled good and bad. And I, that's not fair. I think that's so dismissive of what the human experience is. And so I think being able to embrace my entire human experience, again, it comes back to just knowing that my experiences are worthy of being shared and knowing that this journey started with the death of our child and now I'm in school because I want to become a perinatal social worker and help with um you know get specialized with bereavement and um perinatal mood disorders and just being able to really support other women that will follow this this journey because unfortunately there are going to be many people that will follow this is just a part of the human experience for more people than is known so yeah, just, and again, embracing my human experience. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think many of us are on that same journey of enlightenment, for lack of a better term, because society has conditioned us to not embrace our full Mm -hmm. selves, right? And society has labeled certain emotions as bad and certain emotions as good, going back to that toxic positivity. And more of us need to speak to the fact of our, like, holistic selves right yeah and and we don't and we're not often given the opportunity so I think that's that's a great way to kind of like wrap it up in a in a little bow before we get into the fun part of the interview (gasps) yes the lightning round um but before we go there is there anything else you want to share um just with our listeners or anybody who's listening who might be you know dealing with the loss of a child and it's still new and fresh um in their experience no it's okay to ask for help um always having a good therapist on standby or you know I think with the pandemic too there are virtual support groups that exist so finding people um that you feel you can relate to, which again is a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, there are virtual support groups that are available and there are resources and there needs to be so many more, Uh, but finding people that understand what this life experience is and, Mm -hmm. and people you can literally sit in a room with and you don't have to say a word, but they just get it. Um, We are out there and they are out there. So, you know, again, just asking for help and being really, really kind to yourself and 
knowing too that if you are in a relationship with somebody, recognizing that people grieve very differently. So that was something that was important for us, you know, um, my husband grieves with his hands. So he wanted to stay busy, but he still was able to hold space for what I needed in moments too. But I also equally, he also lost a child. It's just yeah. different. So I needed to hold space for him to be able to grieve and to process what he needed to. So it's also, while you need to be incredibly kind to yourself, it's also knowing that everybody grieves differently. So just, yeah just stay open to what the process is and just be kind to yourself. And if you do have a partner that is with you, just understanding that asking for help and being in a grief support group and hearing other people's stories will make you feel not as alone and as isolated as it absolutely, I mean, it, it even with those resources, it still feels very isolating. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. And I think, that's something that so, so many of us can kind of relate to. I was telling my friend that the other day, I was like, you know, I'm just like sad today, right? And I was like, it's it's so lonely exper- experiencing something and feeling a certain way and, and no one in your life being able to fully understand how you feel, mm-hmm. even though they care about you. I was like, there's a loneliness to that that you cannot explain. Mm -mm. And once again, it's also something we don't speak to because you don't want to seem ungrateful and you don't want to seem like you don't appreciate the people in your life. But I'm like, there are certain lived experiences that unless you've lived that experience, you have no idea what (laughs) it's like to process the healing of that or to even process the, the living after it, you know? And so many of us, I feel like, do feel lonely and like just disconnected from the world around us. Cause it's like, I don't even feel like explaining this to you today. You know what I mean? Like how I feel and what I'm experiencing. Yeah. It's so true. Cause in one more thing, if I may, yeah. Uh, cause what you were just saying really, I mean, it, it hit because you don't realize when you lived from and, and trauma, I think two, and here I go, not even getting to my point, but trauma, I think everybody has experienced trauma, right? So it's also like trauma is defined by who it is and who it has impacted, right? And it gets back to that idea of, you know, your experience is valid. You don't have to compare it to anybody else. But also as, you know, a bereaved parent, it's also every time you're asked how many kids you have, you're always having to stay like a hundred steps ahead of other people when you're interacting socially too. Um, so that just what you said just hit in terms of when somebody hasn't lived the experience is like, it's figuring out ways to kind of pull back the curtain because you don't want to wish it on anybody ever. Right, right, exactly. But it's also, you know, having these conversations in the open it shed lights on the experience of, you know, how frequently people are reminded of their traumas and daily social interactions, you know, how many steps ahead or how many times the person who's experienced the trauma 
are trying to keep the other people uncomfortable by minimizing the pain that they're feeling in the moment. Yeah. So yeah. It's very, and I think, and like, not to keep like going down this rabbit hole, (laughs) but that's also why I don't interact with people a lot right now. And I think my friends are like, why don't you have friends? Because I'm a very social person by nature. But I think since I've been in LA specifically, but probably over the past nine months or so, I haven't been interacting with a lot of people. I've been interacting with like my people, but not like going out and interacting with people and dealing with people because it is, it's a lot. And like, it's a lot to, like you said, you're constantly figuring out how do I tell this story or how do I not let this thing trigger me or how do I not? And it's like, I'd rather just sit on my couch and watch TV or like do something else than like go out and like have to deal with all that. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. But I would say that's incredible for you, even contending that like knowing you're a social person, knowing how you've acted in in previous times, but also gaining an awareness that sometimes self-care is that sometimes self-care and taking care of yourself is not going to that thing or not forcing yourself into something when you're not feeling up to it, or you're just not, you know what, you made plans and you woke up and you're like, today is not the day I should not be in public. Having that kind of self-awareness, I think when people go through traumatic experiences or continuing the healing journey, they recognize that like, it's better that I am not in public right now. It's just better for everybody. Yeah. I (laughs) sat on the couch the other day and watched some Netflix show and like cried all day and it was great. Like, and not like great, but like, you know what I mean? It was like, sometimes you need that. Sometimes the greatest, um, I don't know. Sometimes a really good cry is what you need. That's like the release of yeah no and I think more people should lean into that right and also not be fearful and that again keep going but you know it's like oh well then you start to think the conditioning like oh if I'm sitting here crying all day well what label is this like what what is this fitting into versus like this is just what I need today it doesn't make me anything and like I was just sad and I told one of my friends like I'm sad today I don't want to kill myself. I'm not depressed. I'm just sad right now. You know what I mean? (laughs) The fact that you felt like you also had to follow it up with like all these other things. Like that's part of our conditioning is like all of a sudden you're trying to justify your sadness. And I love that you said like, I'm just sad today. Like, yeah, that's all it needs to be sometimes. Like sometimes you just got to feel it. Yeah. 1000%. So good. And on that chipper note, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Uh, okay, let's go into this lightning round because this actually is fun. It's a good okay. time. So shifting what's gear, one thing you're most proud of you've achieved in life? So my role as a mom, I it's the greatest gift ever. I mean, I have four incredible kids in their own right. And I just, I love, I love being their mom, um, for Ashley. So me, cause this is also something I'm working on is just like radically accepting who I am, like every ounce of who I am and just being proud of that and what I've, um, lived through what I've been through. And 
incredibly grateful for my husband. So I feel like it's kind of like enmeshed with one another because I feel like these are just like the important roles of who I am as my being. I love that. So what is your number one goal for 2022? Oh my God. My number one goal. Continuing to figure out how to navigate this new life, this new world we're living in. Yeah, that's a real one. (laughs) That's real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so where do you see yourself in five years? So, because I'm going to will it and I'm going to manifest it, I'm going to speak to it as though it is real. Next five years, man, I'm going to be working. So I'm going to transition my company into a yoga and therapy practice. I cannot wait. I, I just like, yeah, I feel it to exciting. be able, yeah, to be able to help, you know, in the perinatal space, the perinatal mental health and just helping, helping other pregnant people and the inclusivity of what needs to happen um, within the, the perinatal community space and the bereavement space and the loss space. And I just cannot wait. And I'm trying to like set those stepping stones now, but I am just so energized um, to really carve out what my path is and creating the change that needs to happen. I love that. So what first impression do you want others to experience when they meet you? That's a deep breath. What first impression? The ability to hold space for what they need in that moment. How they define it. That's real. And then what's one of your quotes to live by and why? Embrace how you feel in this moment. Listen, trust yourself and trust your process. And this was just some words I put together. And so here I am great. telling people to not minimize themselves and then questioning the worth of me using a quote that I came up with. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's just the, the human experience factor. Yeah, and I think even to that point, it's just like, you know, I don't feel like any of us give ourselves enough credit for having the wisdom and Mm. the um words right to to express our lived experiences and like and I mean and you know people have called me arrogant cocky whatever probably my entire life and like I could care less because I will quote myself every day of the week because and I and I say that and not even in regards to it being me but I feel like so often when we do have these moments of epiphany or these moments of enlightenment it's not necessarily ourselves it's our higher selves however we choose to identify that that's giving us this quote to then share with other people which is why when people you know call me arrogant or whatever I'm like okay whatever but at the same time it's like I know these words are impactful because they impacted me and nine times out of ten if something is impactful to you it will be impactful to other people but once again society tells us especially as women be humble, be, you know, whatever. 
And it's like, no, don't, I don't want to play small anymore. Yeah, I don't like humility. Yeah. And I'm going to be very honest. And, you know, and I always use Beyonce as an example. Beyonce is not humble. Beyonce is gracious. Beyonce is kind. Beyonce mm. cares for others. But Beyonce is not a humble woman. <laughs> and she should not be because she's worked very hard to get the things that she gets, even still to this day, she has no reason to be humble. And yes, she like she has every reason to be cocky and arrogant and whatever else she chooses to be, quite frankly, because she doesn't mistreat people and she's not, you know, demeaning others and she's not neglecting other human beings or their experience, but she's also not dimming her light to make other people feel good. Mm, that is so it. That is so it. So the quote that I want to share because I pulled it up and they are my words and I'm going to embody this. When you choose to commit to your journey of growth, it is impossible to not change. There you go. I don't think there's any other way to end that. That's the perfect <sighs> way. That's so, that's so real. And I think yeah, we are our largest ob- obstacle. Yes. And when you yes, realize that, Oh, the sky's the limit. When you realize you're the only thing holding you back, yo, you get you can be Beyonce. <laughs> you Big know? shoes to fill. But yes, I <laughs> totally agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Okay. So in closing, I'm so grateful we were able to have this conversation. Thank you. Um, and is there anything coming up that you're doing? Workshops, retreats? Tell the people where they can find you and what your upcoming projects are and how they can get in there. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to thank you so much for using your platform to be able to have uh, people share their experiences and be able to share the things a lot of times that you don't get to share on these spaces. So I just want to thank you so much for that, Um, first and foremost, because I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, So my company is called My Inner Peace Wellness. On social media, it's at my inner peace wellness. So pretty straightforward. It's myinnerpeacewellness.com. Again, really straightforward. Uh, so you can find me there. I'm, you know, working on building uh, book clubs for pregnancy loss awareness. You know, just being able to hold space for uh, whether that you've lived the experience or not to just join us, hear the stories, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, I teach yoga also. So I try to use a trauma informed lens as well. So if this is a lived experience, uh, I definitely want to be able to hold that space for you. And then I also have a grief yoga and healing for pregnancy and pregnancy after loss awareness that I do with an incredible person who uh, we just want to be able to hold space for yoga and wellness professionals who have not maybe experience the loss firsthand, uh, be able to learn why language matters and why it's important to hold space because you probably have students in your class that have experienced this loss. So just learning more about what the experience can be like and how you can really hold that space for your students, whether they share with you or not. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll share all of this in the show notes as well, where the people can find you. Um, But yes, thank you for sharing your story and being open to this conversation. Like I said, these are the conversations that all of us need to have more of, especially as women in this world. 
you know, navigating patriarchy and all of its glory. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I am glad, I am glad that we were able to have this chat. Thank you. And Thank you so much. And there you have it, friends, another episode of Trauma and Triumph. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. And if you're liking what you're hearing so far, feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music. See you next week for another triumphant story.